And then in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, now look, I've discussed all of these great spiritual gifts, but if you don't have this one thing, it doesn't matter if you have any of those spiritual gifts. And that one thing he calls charity or, um, or love. It's the same, that, that word is used interchangeably, love. And so in 1 Corinthians 13, he says in verse number 13 to end the whole chapter, he says, now abide, and now abideth faith, hope, and charity, or love, these three. But the greatest of these is what? Charity, charity or love. Love is the greatest of, the, of those things. Now note really carefully here, okay? He just talked about a lot of spiritual gifts that we can have. Each one of us in the room, if we're saved, has at least one spiritual gift. But then he talks about charity or love. And you notice that love is not a spiritual gift. Okay? Each of us is given the love of God when we get saved, but love is a discipline Amen. that we develop. Amen. It's a gift that's not necessarily given to us. We get the love of God, but charity or love is a gift we give out. Amen. Okay? And Paul says that if you don't have this gift, like, you know, you're not using love in the church, love toward one another, love toward God, you don't have anything. You're not getting it. Um, you have prioritized the wrong thing. Like your focus is entirely wrong. We have to understand uh, getting this thing and giving this thing of love. And then in Philippians chapter number one, uh, let's go there and we'll remain in Philippians here for the rest of the message. Philippians 1, in verse number 9, it says this, And this I pray that your, what's the word? Love, Love, right? And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Why, Why should they have love? Why should they have abounding love in knowledge and judgment? Next verse, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. All right, so he starts out this whole letter. And the way uh, Paul writes letters is that he usually introduces a prayer at the beginning of the letter, and that introduces the theme for the rest of the letter. And so in these couple verses here, he's saying, here's what I'm praying for you, uh, church, uh, at, at Philippi. And so it kind of gives us the outline for the rest of the letter. The whole purpose of this letter, really, is that they would develop or that they would abound, they would grow in their love towards God, towards one, toward toward another. And so the rest of the whole book of Philippians is kind of showing them how to do that. How, How do you abound in love? Okay. And so the church at Philippi, if you're, if you're familiar with this letter, it wasn't really a problem church. Okay? You read 1 Corinthians, you read 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, Colossians, and Paul, at least in part, is addressing some sort of problem in the church. He's saying, all right, in, uh, in Thessalonica, you have some wrong ideas about the coming of Christ, about the end times in uh, Corinthians, he's correcting you know, uh, problems of sin and so forth. You don't get a whole lot of that in Philippians. But um, it wasn't a problem church, but it was still a church, Amen. meaning it still had problems, right? Because any church that's a church still has problems, Amen. right? Uh, because they're made up of people like you and me. So they, uh, they weren't a wealthy church. 
Um, they had financial needs, and yet they still needed to give sacrificially. We read that later on in the chapter. One of their members was, was deathly ill, um, had chronic sickness, so they're praying for him, caring for him. Um, they're, they're suffering persecution from outside. People in their community didn't like what they were saying. Specifically, the other religious groups in their community didn't like what they're saying. They're being persecuted. Their pastor, that is Paul, their founding pastor, is in jail, is in prison, um, falsely accused, and he's not even able to come to the pulpit and preach to them. Who's preaching to them? We don't know. Maybe someone that's filling in. We, we're not sure. But this is a church who maybe they didn't have like doctrinal problems, sin problems. They still had a lot they were going through, right? Amen. Paul mentions uh, two women in, uh, in Philippians 4.2. He calls them out by name. He says, now, this person and this person, you really need to get along. He says, you need to be of the same mind. He doesn't tell us what it's about. <laughs> it doesn't even matter to him what it's about. He said, you guys just need to get along. You need to figure this thing out. And so what we read from Philippians is a typical church that has typical problems. Okay? And what Paul is saying here in, uh, in chapter 1, verse 9, he says, the key to this whole thing, okay? the key to it all is an abounding love, a mature love, a Christian love. And if we have that sort of love, then he says, look down there in, in verse number 10 again. I want you to get this. If we have this kind of love that's mixed with knowledge, this discerning type of love, verse 10, he says, if you have this, that ye may approve things that are excellent, meaning, meaning you're going to be able to discern a good choice from the best choice. You're going to be able to discern the will of God. That's what I want for you, Paul says. Um, as your pastor, I want you to be able to know and to discern and to choose the will of God. He says next, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. He says, I want you to make it. At, at Christ's return, I want you to still be in the race. I don't want you to be tripped up or having tripped someone else up. I want you to be continuing still when Christ comes back. And he continues there. He says, and I want you to be filled with the fruits of righteousness. I want you to have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, right? All, all of the, the fruits of the Spirit, this is what I want for the church, Amen. okay? And he says, these fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. He's saying that all of this stuff is, is so that we can glory and we can praise the Lord through our lives, this is what I want for you, church at Philippi. And he says, and you get all of that Amen. through a love that's abounding. Amen. And that's what I want, don't you? <laughs> I want to I wanna, you know, make it. I want to still be running the race when Jesus comes back. And I don't want to be tired out. I want to have the fruit of the Spirit. I want to have a smile on my face and joy in my heart. I don't want to be this frazzled, you know, person who's like, I'm just making it and dragging my feet, you know, when Jesus comes back. I don't want to be out of the race altogether. Amen. And that's what the Lord wants for each and every one of us. But when love is not present at all, okay, then, then there's all sorts of problems and you can imagine what they are, okay? I heard the, the illustration a long time ago about... Um, uh, there's, a, there's this machine probably some of you had growing up. It's a rock polisher. 
So if you, get, um, if you get these rocks, like these river rocks or something, and you put them in this rock polisher, it's a rock tumbler, right? And then you, you start cranking it up, or you hit a button, and it starts rolling around and everything, and then it polishes the rocks. But if you forget to put something in there, okay, and you just put in the rocks, all they're going to do is, you know, just make a lot of friction. They'll break. <laughs> They'll break apart. You have to put this little ingredient in, it's like this little powder, right? Uh, the secret ingredient that actually polishes the rocks. If, and in, in the same case here, this, this thing of love is that secret ingredient. Amen. Okay? Doing church and uh, doing, doing the church thing without being fueled by and motivated by love for God and love for one another, all it's going to do is create a lot of friction. Yeah. A lot of problems and a lot of, you know, hurt feelings and a lot of anger and all sorts of things. But if you have a whole group of people heading the same way in the same direction, motivated by their love of God and love for one another to see the world saved, Amen. you're going to see incredible things happen. Amen. And Paul is, say, uh, Paul is saying that that's the key. If you get this and you understand how to get this, and you understand that love is not a thing that God just, you know, gives you. Some people have it, some people don't. But it's something that you can develop on your own. That it's something that you can, you can get more of by doing certain things. If we get a hold of that, we can be a, a much better church, a much better Christian. And, and we can be smiling when Jesus comes back, and that's Amen. what we want. And so today, the, the whole message uh, here is about the greatest of the gifts, and that's the gift of love. Amen. And maybe we can give that uh, this Christmas, um, whereas maybe in, in times past, we really haven't. Maybe Christmas has been more about us than, uh, than loving on other people. Let's pray, and we'll ask the Lord to bless this message now. I pray, Lord, that you would take some things that I say tonight, Lord, and just go beyond my words uh, I know it's just a, a wonderful truth here in, in this passage, but I pray that I would get out of the way, Lord, and that you, would, um, that you would speak, and that you would help us, and that you would show us specific instances where we need to show love, where we can develop this in our lives. Please help us this Christmas, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we said that the, the first couple of verses here are like an outline of the letter. I want to define a couple key terms in these three verses. We're really sticking with these three verses, and then we'll show actually how to develop love later on in the, uh, in the book. So the first thing we see here in uh, verse number 9, it says, This I pray that your love may abound. Okay, so what are we talking about? When you, when you usually think of the word, word love, at least today, you kind of think of this warm emotion, this kind of you know, cuddly feeling or something. Um, but, but what does he say here? He says that your love may abound yet more and more in all knowledge and judgment. That's usually two words that you don't put with love. <laughs> love with knowledge and judgment. What does that mean? So um, what he's saying here is that love is not, primar not primarily this this, uh, this feeling, this nice warm feeling towards one another, it's actually more like a motive. It's a desire, of one, um, desire to give oneself to meet the needs of other people and to serve other people. Um, but love needs to know how to serve other people. Amen. Okay, 
So, so stick with me here. Love needs to be instructed by knowledge in order to fulfill its desire to serve. Okay, here's what I mean. Here's an illustration. So only a doctor who knows how to make a diagnosis and knows how to do the surgery on someone is going to be able to help someone. Amen. Like, so even if I wanted to help someone who is very ill and needs surgery, I don't have the knowledge to be able to help. It requires specialized knowledge to do so. You following what I'm saying? Amen. Okay. And so in order for me to, um, to do the work that God wants me to do in the best way, I need some knowledge about what his will is. I need to figure out, like, you know, what does he desire and that type of thing. So um, you, you think about the biblical example. I was, I'm reading right now in the book of Job. Job gets his, his life just you know, um, turned upside down. He loses everything he has, basically. Um, all, his, all his wealth, all his possessions, all his kids. Then the devil comes back for round two and takes his health from him. And now he's in chronic pain and chronic illness. And to their credit, he has three friends that come, right? And they sit around him and they don't say anything for like seven days. And then they start talking and that's when it goes downhill even further, Okay. What they were doing, they had good intentions, believe it or not. They wanted to help their friend, but they didn't know what to say. Okay? Have you ever been there where you wanted to help someone out? Okay? And you knew that they were hurting. Maybe, maybe it's like an awkward time at a funeral where you know, you're going by the, um, the person who's lost a loved one and you don't know what to say. And so you say something, it's the wrong thing, you know. Uh, so it's, it's love, but it's love that has knowledge. It has some experience. It knows what to say and what to do in the, uh, in the circumstance, in the time. That's what he's talking about, okay? So in, in 1 Corinthians 13, 2, uh, in, that's the passage that we talked about a little bit ago um, about charity. 1 Corinthians 13, 2 says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. What he's saying is that, he, he says in this verse that if you have knowledge, but you don't have love, then you don't have anything. It's true, amen. Okay? Amen. In Philippians, we see that you need love, but you also need to add some knowledge with it. All right? I hope I'm not losing you uh, too much right now. Okay, so what we're saying is that love needs some discernment. It needs to know how to express that love to someone else. So a parent can love a child without enabling their drug addiction. Okay? So it's not loving to enable, you know, some bad habit. It's actually the loving thing to do not to. Right? That's love with knowledge, with discernment, with some common sense. And sometimes love is not the most convenient thing to do. Sometimes, sometimes love has the hard conversation, right? And it's not just, you know, this warm and fuzzy feeling. It's knowing how to help someone, not just wanting to help somebody. Uh, Jesus, in, uh, when you read the book of John, Jesus was able to keep both of these things in perspective, love and knowledge. You remember when he talks to the woman caught in adultery, yes. right? So uh, this woman, he's, you know, she's, she's thrown, you know, um, Right before Jesus, all these men are lined up and they're ready to stone this lady. Um, for some reason, the man 
who was in adultery was not thrown in the mix. You know, it's interesting how that works out. What Jesus does here, he does two things. He shows extreme compassion on that lady, big time. And he probably took a hit on his reputation in some of these men's eyes. I don't know. But he shows extreme compassion to someone who didn't deserve it. Amen. Right? Amen. But a lot of mercy and a lot of compassion. He says, you know, who's without sin? You want to cast the first stone? Right? He stands up and uh, all the men leave. And then we don't, we don't leave this last part out. He says, now, lady... Um, you know, do you, does anyone else condemn you here? No, no one condemns me. And he says, well, then go, but sin no more. Now, he adds that last part. That's the knowledge part. Okay? He doesn't just say, ah, it's okay. You know, go your way. You know, uh, you know lots of people do this. You just got caught. You know, don't get caught next time. <laughs> that's not what he says, right? He shows compassion, shows a lot of mercy, but then says, now... I'm going to give you some discernment here. Amen. I'm going to give you some knowledge, and that is to not do this again. Um, uh, and and that's, the, that's the heart of Jesus. He, he was able to do both, and it's very hard, isn't it, to have that balance of showing love with knowledge and not one or the other. Okay. Um, so what is knowledge? knowledge? Knowledge is not factual knowledge about someone um, but it's, it's personal relational knowledge. Here's what I mean. Like when, um, uh, for those of you that are married or have been married, you're, you're dating your spouse, right? And you want to find out more about this person because you love them, okay? That's, that's the type of knowledge. It's personal knowledge. It's not just knowledge for knowledge's sake, okay? It's not like studying, you know, physics or something. It's it's so that you can better this relationship, that sort of knowledge. Judgment there means insight. So we can, we can feel compassion towards people with great needs, but without insight or judgment, that compassion, that compassion doesn't lead to action. Here's the illustration here. If you remember the, the name George Mueller, he lived in uh, the 1800s. George Mueller uh, was in England there, and they had so many orphans uh, roaming the streets, lots and lots of them. They would get rounded up, and they would get uh, sent to these workhouses and uh, just poorly, poorly treated. And so he, he had compassion in his heart. He said, something needs to be done about this. I mean, you know, these poor kids, you know, the Lord loves each and every one of them, you know, and they're, they're committing crimes and they're stealing and so forth, but they don't know what else to do. You know, at that point... He had a lot of compassion, and he had a lot of love, but he didn't have knowledge and judgment. He didn't know how to, what to do about any of that. Then the Lord impresses on his heart and his mind, you need to start an orphanage. Now here's a guy who he was trained on how to you know, uh, read the Bible, how to preach, and that type of thing. He, was not, he didn't go to school for orphanage <laughs> you know, building, her training. He's like, whoa, yeah, that's a big leap of faith. But that desire that the Lord put on his heart, that's the, that's the knowledge and judgment, right, mixed with love. So he was able to do something. Are you seeing what I'm saying? You can't have just one or the other. That's what I'm trying to get across. Okay, so let's keep going here. When he says, I believe in, in verse number 10 or verse number, yeah, verse number 10, approving things that are excellent. Um, sometimes... When, when we want to show love for one another, we want to help someone, 
We want to meet a need in the church. We want to do something for the Lord. Um, it might not be obvious what the best way of doing that is. Okay? What Paul is saying is, I desire that you guys are able to make the best choices from all of the choices that you can make. Okay? And he, uh, he uses the word approving. That word a lot of times is used um, elsewhere where uh, jewelers would look at a jewel, like with a magnifying glass or some sort of little um, glass, to look really closely at a jewel to see if it was genuine, to see if it had defects, right? And so they would determine the worth of it. And so they were closely scrutinizing uh, this certain jewel to determine the worth. That's what the, the word means, that we're, we're looking very closely, okay, um, when, when we want to determine how, how is God going to use me in this church and my family, we're, we're looking really closely at, um, at, at how we can do that, okay? Um, let, me, let me continue on. I don't want to lose you here. Um, we're going to get to some practical things in a second here. Um, a couple of these other words um, like blameless and sincere. Let me talk about the word blameless here. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty rare word in the New Testament. It means to, to trip up or to trip someone else up. So Paul is saying here that he doesn't want anyone in the church or the church as a whole to be tripped up or trip someone else up. If you've, if you've ever watched like the 100-yard dash in the Olympics, right? every once in a while it happens and it just kind of breaks your heart where like, you know, they're tearing off uh, running and one guy trips and he lands in the other person's lane and both of them trip up and they're tumbling all over each other, and both of them lose the race because one person trips. That's usually how it works when, when we trip up and we get offended and we stop running the race. It's usually not just the person in our lane, us, that gets tripped up. Are you, you understanding what I'm saying? Amen. And from the pastor's heart, Pastor Paul here, he's saying, I don't want to ever see that happen. I don't want to see you... Uh, fall on your face and not, you know, not be happy to see the Lord when he returns. I don't want you to do that to someone else. And what's the answer? Again, the whole answer I'm trying to get across here tonight is that you can avoid all of that. You can avoid tripping yourself up, tripping someone else up. You can, you can make the right decisions, the, the best decision from all of the decisions um, you, can, you can do all of this if you have this type of love that we're talking about tonight, Amen. okay? Uh, that's, that's what I'm trying to get across. Okay, so how do we give this gift of love uh, to others this Christmas? This is where the rest of the, um, the letter comes in, okay? Thanks for sticking with me. I know this is a lot of introduction here at, uh, uh, at the start here. Let's look there in Philippians 2, um, Philippians 2, verse 1. And we'll find out that the first thing that we can do in showing love towards one another is by treating other people well. In Philippians 2, verse 1, it says, If there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of what? Love. If any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded. You're on the same page with one another, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Amen. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. He is saying here, right, that if you don't have this kind of love we're talking about, 
then you're going to do all of these things. You're, uh, you're going to put yourself above other people, right? Um, you're, going to, um, you're going to have a life full of strife, vainglory, um, not being on the same page with one another, creating just conflict a lot. If your life is just full of conflict in like every area, it seems, it may be an indication that we don't have this love that he's talking about tonight. Amen. How do we get it? First of all, it says that we esteem each, um, we esteem others better than ourselves. All right? I think of this, uh, this illustration, and I'll, I'll just be real with you with this thing. I was in Bible college, and there was, a, uh, there was a, a kind of a preaching class that we had. And this young man, um, he was a little bit older uh, than I was. He came in a little bit older in life. He felt like the Lord wanted him to go into ministry. And this was probably one of his first preaching classes he took. And so we had uh, turns. We had, you know, turns to preach for like three or five minutes or so. And so each of us got up and we got graded on, on various things. Well, it was his turn. And he had, um, he, he was pretty excited about this thing. He, he was feeling like the Lord had called him to preach, you know, as an older, uh, older person, you know, wanting to make the, the best of you know, the rest of his rest of his life and that type of thing. He was all excited and he gets up there and he starts preaching and it says somewhere, I believe it's in Galatians, it says that um, if, you, if you are in Christ, you're not under the law. Okay? You remember that? Have you, you've seen that before. If you're in Christ, you're not under the law. And so in his mind, he said, what this means is that if you're saved, you don't have to obey the law. You know, um, you can break the law if it means that, you know, you're, you know, you need to witness to someone, you need to do that. And he gives all these illustrations about how it's okay to break the law because, you, you know, you got saved. And I'm sitting there and like, you know, my, my face is like turning red. I'm like, what? What in the world? You know, and this little inner lawyer in me starts, you know, raising its, <laughs> raising its hands in protest. And so afterwards I come to him and I'm, you know, I, there, there's no... Uh, there's no pause in my thought process. It's just knee-jerk reaction. I'm like, I need to talk to you. And I start reaming him out. I mean, like, chewing him out. I said, how dare you, man? Like, you just totally, like, abuse the word of God. That's not what it says. That's not what it means. The law is talking about the law of Moses. I mean, like, I'm giving him this whole theology lesson, okay? And, like, his countenance is just, like, dropping more and more. And it's like I deflated his whole, you know, uh, balloon, right? And, I mean, he, he didn't get angry at all. He just got really quiet and he said, well, you know, thank you for pointing that out. You know, iron sharpens iron. I'd appreciate you, you know, being a good friend to me. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, that's what I was being, right? Okay. And it wasn't maybe two weeks later. Uh, we were in another class and I was, uh, the class had dismissed. I was leaving. And I heard him talking to one of my professors, uh, Hans Nikolai, with that you know, deep German accent. And, uh, he, and uh, Brother Nikolai was encouraging him. He was saying, man, I'm so excited about what you're going to do after graduation and this and that. And I still remember, uh, I could call his name. He said, yeah, you know, I came in here you know, thinking that the Lord was going to use me, but I don't really think I'm called to preach. And I look back on that, and I think, that's because of me. And that's because of a knee-jerk reaction with absolutely no love, no compassion, no charity. And it's not esteeming someone better than myself. I never want to do something like that again. 
What happens in a church when we don't esteem others better than ourselves is that type of stuff. You know, it's, it's a ministry that could have been started. It's a, it's a whole maybe church that could have had a pastor that doesn't have one right now. And what it was is a knee-jerk reaction saying something that was very true and very mean at the same time. Right? Amen. What would that conversation have looked like if it was wrapped up in love? Nothing like that. Maybe I wouldn't have had the conversation at all. Maybe it wasn't necessary. Maybe it would have looked like me taking him out to, to eat and talking about his life and talking about his plans and maybe not bringing it up at all. But what I do know is that that lack of love killed something that could have been. Right? And the, the pastor's perspective, I can't imagine the pastor who sent that, that young man there to Bible college what his perspective would have been. Man, you just tripped someone up. <laughs> yeah. You know, you just, Amen. you tripped someone up. Uh, that type of lack of love, it's, it's two people that aren't on the same page, like Paul is talking about. He calls two ladies out later in, in chapter four, and he says, these two ladies, you need to work it out. You guys need to get along. You're not on the same page, okay? That happens a lot of times when we make these knee-jerk reactions and we just want to tell someone, you know, what we're thinking right away. <laughs> it's usually not good, okay? And again, it's not that um, the Lord has given some people the gift of love and some people not. It's that it's a discipline that we develop Amen. and we have to purposely choose to love people, Amen. okay? Some people you may not like at all, right. right? You can love people right. without loving to spend time around them all the time, okay? Um, it's not about that. Uh, sometimes, um, I, I've been in, in several churches growing up. You wouldn't know who this person is. It was in one of the churches I attended. And every time I, I came into uh, to the church, this person would get right up in my face. It had no, uh, no idea about, like, personal boundaries and, the, and speak to me in, like, a really elevated tone, Okay? Like, they were just, like, telling me how their day went or something, but they didn't quite understand this dynamic where, you know, you stand a little bit farther that way. It was just, wah, like, you know, um, really, really loud, really, um, you know, whenever someone does that, it's like, man, you want to fight? You know, what's going on? Like, this is weird. And it would get me so riled up, like, coming in. And so, you know, you'd avoid this person. If they were over there, I was over here. And, you know, timing it right so I'm not talking to this person. And you know what that is? A lack of love. You know what I had to do? Some sort of discipline. I'm going to tell myself a couple minutes before coming in that this person is made in the image of God, that this person is loved by God. He's a child of God. And I'm going to show some compassion. Because if I was that person, I'd want someone to show some compassion to me. And you know what happens when you go from being really, really frustrated and irritated with somebody someone's getting on your nerves, or especially someone who's done you wrong, or someone who's done your family wrong, or someone that you love wrong, you go from serious anger towards that person to starting to pray for them, to starting to like them, 
and to starting to have compassion for them. And that compassion turns into love, the type of Christ-like love that he displayed. Jesus hung around a lot of very strange people, (laughs) okay, that I'm sure would have gotten on our nerves, (laughs) okay? Like the, the, the personalities just in the 12 disciples that he recruited were all over the place, there should, there, there, there's no reason they should have gotten along except for the cause of Christ and the direction that he's headed. They could overlook a lot of that stuff and have and show purposeful, disciplined love towards them because there was a bigger goal in mind, right? They could choose to be on the same page, go in the same direction, and ignore a lot of faults, all right? So treating other people well, uh, we see there. In Philippians 3.8, Paul talks about having all this stuff and having all these accolades, all this education. And he says, I count all that stuff as nothing. Um, uh, All I'm about right now, right, is the things that God's about. I want to put my agenda, the stuff that used to really matter to me, down at the bottom and put the stuff that matters to God it matters to other people above that. That's treating other people well. And then uh, next, what, what does showing love like mean? What does that look like? Sometimes it just means getting alone with God and His Word. In Philippians 2.14, uh, it says this, Do all things without murmurings and disputings. So if you find yourself grumbling and complaining and murmuring and getting frustrated in your heart and in your mind, um, Murmurings and disputings, I get the picture of someone who's having an imaginary conversation with somebody and they're not there. (laughs) And they have another one that's even better than the next one, you know, and they're really telling them how it is. You know, it's this inner war that's going on, murmurings and disputings. And so Paul says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. How? Verse 15, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shines of light, uh, shine as lights in the world. Here's how, verse 16, holding forth the word of life, that's the word of God, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, and so forth. Sometimes it's just a matter of you sectioning off two hours, getting alone with your Bible and a good cup of coffee without any distractions at all, and say, Lord, I am having a tough time with such and such person, with such and such situation, usually in the, in the church, right? And I need help, show me. And you hold fast the word of life, Amen. you open it up somewhere in the New Testament, somewhere, and you just ask God for answers. And you'll be shocked at the kinds of chapters that, and, and verses that come alive, or like, I've never seen that before, and that's something I'm going to take with me forever. Because you, you chose and you disciplined yourself to hold fast the word of God. And again, that, that, that discipline of love is something you can develop. Okay. Next, uh, listening to the Holy Spirit in Philippians 3, uh, 14. It says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. If, and if anything be, uh, and if any... And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. At, at, the, at the last part of that verse here, he says, look, if you find yourself not being 
minded, meaning you're not on the same page, okay? Like you guys are button heads or um, you're, just, you're just not unified. You don't, you don't feel the sense of unity when you walk into the church or maybe it's in your, uh, in your house and in your family. He's saying if you, if you find yourself like that, he says God will reveal even this unto you. Amen. Meaning that the Holy Spirit can work on your heart. And part of developing this thing of love, disciplining yourself with this thing of love, is asking the Holy Spirit and, and asking the Holy Spirit to say, look, can, can, you touch, can, can you tell me and impress on my heart something that I need to change because I feel like something's off here. I don't even know what it is, but I just feel frustrated. I feel agitated. There's, something, there's some problem here. And... It, when, when I come into church, it's anything but, but unity that I'm feeling in my mind. And there's some problem with me. Help me. And what the promise is from God's word is God will reveal that unto you. Amen. He'll show you what, what area you need to change. A lot of times when there is a conflict um, and when we're getting bent out of shape, um, when we're getting frustrated, when there's murmurings, disputings in our mind, what happens is if like, uh, if like there's this pie chart, you've seen a pie chart before, and let's say that 90% of the problem or 95% of the problem is the other person's fault, okay? What we do usually is focus on the 95% that we can't change, that we can't deal with, that is totally outside of our control, and we ignore the fault of our own. Usually the fault of our own is just our bad reaction <laughs> to whatever they did, okay? Like we had a bad attitude or we told them off or something. You can correct that 5%. And then a lot of times when you do, then the situation resolves itself or at least becomes better because you focused on what you could do instead of what you couldn't do, okay? Listening to the Holy Spirit and He'll show you those types of things. Next, in Philippians 3.17, um, it says, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have an example. And he, he talks about other people who are not walking uh, the way they should. They're not living the, the right way. He says, uh, to be filled with love, to develop this thing of love, you need to be hanging around godly people who are going in the same direction, who are not pulling you uh, this way or that way. So godly friends who are on the same page. And then here's this, here's this passage that I've been referring to in Philippians 4. If you go there, I want you to see this. Philippians 4 in verse number 2. He says, I beseech Eodius and I beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Now notice, like, for all of time, inscripturated in the canon <laughs> of the Bible... Uh, are two women that had a disagreement with one another and we know their names. Like, that would be a little embarrassing for me, you know? Uh, but Paul, all he does, he doesn't tell us what it's about. He doesn't tell us the problem. He doesn't even tell them how to get right with one another. He just says, you and you, you really need to work this out. Whatever is going on. And he can say that because whatever the issue, it's a real issue, no doubt. Whatever is going on is... Like, the, the cause of Christ is bigger than that, right? And two people showing compassion and love towards one another can work things out. They might not be best friends with one another at the end, okay? They might not be inviting each other over for parties and, 
you know, being best buds, but they're okay with each other. Okay? Um, that's the point you want to get to where in, in my court, I've done everything possible to make peace. And if you have two people that have done that and can before the Lord say, I've done everything in my power to make peace, you'll have two people who can at least sit on the same pew and be okay doing so. You you following what I'm saying? Okay. Um, Sometimes with, um, without love, little problems become huge problems, right? Molehills become mountains, especially if you already have a lot going on in your life already. There's a lot of frustrations piling up, okay? Um, There's, and I mean, whatever it is, if, if it's just piling up and piling up, my, my son asked me the other day when we were, um, we were driving home and people were like being crazy on the road and people were honking their horns and, and he says, why are people honking at each other? And I had to explain that this happens at Christmas. <laughs> and it's not because people are happy. <laughs> you know why? It's because people are frustrated. And the little thing, the guy pulling in front of them, you know, when he shouldn't have, becomes a big thing. You know, people get into road rage, not because of someone cutting them off in traffic or giving them a hand signal or something. It's because of everything that's piled up and that's just the last straw. Okay? Um, a lot of times when, uh, when someone is taking something out on, on you or maybe your family or whatever, and it, be, it seems like it's way out of proportion, like it's just like this volcano that's exploded, it's probably not you. In fact, it's most likely not you. It's probably a whole lot of things that have been built up. And part of Christian maturity is this, giving people a write-off for a day. You know, Aren't you glad that Jesus did that with us? Amen. With our whole lives. Okay? He didn't just say, ah, I'll ignore it, that's okay. No, like there were real sins we committed against him. And instead of just ignoring it, he gave his life for us. That's how much he loves us. We can do that same thing with someone who has done us wrong as well. Why? Because we want to make it to the finish line. And we want each other to make it to the finish line. And that's how we develop this thing of love, by by solving conflicts with one another. So here's, here's the key to all of this. How do you solve conflicts with one another? In Philippians 4, I want you to see this really quick, okay? Philippians 4.2, it says, I beseech Yodius and Syntyche that they be of the same mind. Here are these next three magic words. You ready? In the Lord. Amen. They don't just get along with each other to make peace. They get along with each other because that's what God wants them to do. Because they are children of God. You ever notice that you treat other people well? If you like someone that's connected with them, what I mean is like when I was dating Melanie and I went over and uh, met her folks for the first time there in, um, there in New Hampshire, I was probably nicer to her family than I would have if this was just a random family. <laughs> Why? Because I had someone that I loved that was connected to them. Why do you treat people better than they deserve? Because they are literal children of God. They're in the same family. And a lot of times you give, you give a pass and you give patience, overwhelming patience, to family. Amen. When we treat each other as family, 
we can be of the same mind. We can get past things. And we can make it until Christ returns. All right. Those are some practical uh, steps that I'm hoping uh, will help. And then uh, one, one just really quick practical thing. If ever you, you, you feel like, here, here is this thing that I can't just let go. And in my heart, there's anything but love towards God, towards someone else. Um, if it's especially someone that you think has wronged you or someone that you love, it's especially hard to get over. And some of these practical steps will help. And one is immediately praying for that person when they come to your mind. And you think, praying for that person? (laughs) That's the last thing I want to do. You know, God strike them with lightning, you know, and uh, that's not what you're praying for. Um, you, You are praying for them as another child of God, another person in the family, that you want their best, that you want the best for your church, for your family. I mean, you are sincerely doing your best to pray for them. And sometimes, like in Romans, where it says that, when we don't even know what to pray and we don't have the words and all we have is like this groaning in our heart, the Holy Spirit can translate that. (laughs) He knows what we're saying even if we don't have the words. Sometimes if you just whisper the person's name in prayer, you're doing good. That's a good first step. And what will the Lord do? He will will melt your heart towards that situation. And probably you will never be able to change the situation, but you'll change your response to it, right? That will allow you to start developing love again, to start getting your prayers prayers answered, to start seeing real joy and peace and all the other fruits of the Spirit that you long to see, that you see other people have, and you're like, why don't I have this? It's because there's this lack of love, and it's because there's this barrier that you have to overcome. Uh, Praying for people right when they come to your mind um, is, a, is, a great, uh, is a great thing. And we're, we're not talking about um, you know, ignoring uh, some sort of you know, sin or anything like that. A, a lot of times this is not about um, something that's evil. It's just people making poor choices. <laughs> you know, uh, that's, how, that's how conflicts uh, happen. And so uh, I'm, I'm hoping that we can, we can take some of this here. Now, the, the whole motivation behind this, um, Paul, right in the middle of that book of Philippians, and I'm done, he says, all right, I want you to have, he starts out, I want you to have this love, this abounding love that's mixed with knowledge and discernment. And if you have the love, then you're going to make it till Christ comes back. You're going to make good decisions. You're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he gives us examples. He says, you can do it uh, by, by praying for people, hanging around the right people, and you know, solving conflicts and all this stuff. But right in the middle of the, uh, the book is one of the most beautiful chapters, uh, beautiful uh, passages in all the Bible. And it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but showed himself of what? Low reputation, right? And took upon him the form of a servant, being made in likeness of man. He, I mean, and it, it shows the absolute humility of Jesus Christ um, putting our interests above his own. The God of the universe dying on a cross and taking what, what he took all throughout his life 
being born in poverty, people treating him terribly, people wanting to kill him, and then eventually killing him and succeeding in doing so. And all the while, showing absolute compassion till his dying breath, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's incredible. And when, when we can't find a reason to get on the same page in the church or uh, with other people in our family, we look at the example of Jesus and we say that anything that I'm dealing with now, <laughs> it's, it's in, nothing in comparison. And looking to him, right? Hebrews says the author and the finisher of our faith. When we look at his example, we have our motivation. Um, you can do it and I can do it, but it's a thing we have to work at. And maybe the gift that God wants most of all this year for him and towards other people is a gift that we wrap things in love from now on. Amen. That'll, Amen. Help us, that'll help us stop honking at people <laughs> during the holidays and everything else. But it goes way far beyond that. It'll stop the war in our hearts. Amen. And it'll put a smile back on our face, a genuine one, and a love for the Lord. That's what I want, don't you?